And you may be seated. We'll turn your Bibles, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. These next two weeks, we're going to actually take a portion of Scripture, about a half a chapter a week. Today, we'll look at uh, what was uh, a pre- uh, preceding the birth of Christ. Next week, we'll talk about the Christmas story. But in today's message in particular, we're going to talk a great deal about the prophecy where God predicted the events of Christmas. This is a very foundational message. I will hope to engender confidence in you that the Bible is reliable and trustworthy. We will speak of the foundational beliefs that Jesus himself was God, a foundation of theology, and obviously much application in, our, in, in the Word today. Luke chapter 1. But I want to begin with a video. Uh, it's a little corny, but it's got a great message in it. So I want you to take a peek here and... Uh, You'll laugh and gasp and say he's right. So take a peek here at the skit, guys. Hey, Ed, come check out my North Star Christmas tree topper at Levitate's. Is this a gummy bear? Yeah, we lost baby Jesus. Hey, check out these LED lights. I have them synced up to a 76-hour all-Christmas music playlist. There's my little Christmas DJ. (laughs) (laughs) So, are you waiting till Christmas is over so you can go buy a new nativity set when they're on sale? Huh? No, no, oh no. We lost baby Jesus like 11 years ago. Is, is baby Jesus always a gummy bear? Oh, no, oh, we trade it out every year. Yeah, like uh, last year it was a uh, tiny troll doll. <laughs> and the year before that we used a uh, dog treat. They were the perfect size, but <laughs> Dalton kept taking them and eating them. You, you mean your dog kept stealing them? No, my son Dalton, he loves those dog treats. Especially the peanut butter ones. There was one year that we used a, uh, a doll head. That was creepy. We, we made a modeling clay, baby Jesus. So the dog took that one too. Um, one year we got desperate and used an ice cube. That was a miss and a mess. Yeah, just seems like everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never lasts. Say that again. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to last. And? And what? Say it again, slowly. Why? Just do it, dulcimo, slowly, do it. I don't understand what's happening. Just do it. This is getting weird. Say it! Fine! But when I'm done saying this, you're gonna march in here and you're gonna watch my star levitate. Fine, 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 fine. do it. Fine. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to, oh, yep, there it is. Okay, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, I told you you'd like it. A little two minutes of where did the preacher get that one? But you know, Jesus does get lost in the holiday season. Uh, Christmas means many things to different people. Uh, retailers there have hopes for big sales. School children, it means no school. The unbelievers are threatened by a little baby. They don't even want to mention his name, Christ. Uh, but believers is a time that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And this is why we gather today. This is the passage we read. Luke chapter 1, in in speaking before Christ was born. And I want you to notice that there is a predictive nature. Uh, 
Uh, I've entitled this message, The King is Coming, and I want you to start looking for uh, prophecies of the Old Testament. I want you to start looking for the miraculous hand of God. And as in every, every Bible message I share with you, I want you to start looking for application in my life. How can I take what was true and real and written 2,000 years ago and apply it in my life today? Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, in other words, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, an old woman, was now six months pregnant. At that time, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. He was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. Note that. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting it might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there'll be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary's response, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Let's explore it together. I've entitled the message, The King is Coming. Luke chapter 1, let's begin in verse 26, and I want you to see this, to, to see the, that God has a master plan that's unfolding before our very eyes. I want you to picture it as, a, as, as God's prophetic clock moving forwards. When the Old Testament closed in the book of Malachi, it was 400 years that the New Testament opens, and it's as if when John the Baptist would first be born and then Christ, God's... Uh, taking steps towards the culmination or the end of the age, and Jesus Christ is coming into the world. But I want you to look at a couple, this first scripture. It was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that God sent the angel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, I want you to notice first, again, this idea about God's master plan. Um, The Savior of the world is about to come on the scene. Matthew 2.23 tells us that that Jesus lived in a city called Nazareth, and it was not arbitrary, but it was deliberate. It was spoken by the prophets to be fulfilled that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. We have uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. They're old now. They wanted to have a baby all their life, but they walk with God all these years, and at the right time, God's clock moved forwards. I want you to see that there's like this gigantic puzzle. You dump the boxes out and there is, God only knows, 10,000 pieces, 100,000, a million pieces. And God is strategically pacing each place. He's finding the corner pieces in Genesis. He, he, He builds the rim around it with eternity in the book of Revelation. And the rest of the Bible fits the pieces in place. God is deliberate in His design. You know, the birth of Jesus begins the fulfillment of the first prophecy in the Bible. CBN tells us, if you look on their website, that they see almost 300 prophecies 
predicting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is amazing that words were spoken hundreds if not, and sometimes thousands of years before Christ was born that he would fulfill in his lifetime. But the first prophecy in the Bible is hidden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It is shortly after the fall of man when sin came into the world, when Adam and Eve uh, ate the forbidden fruit, everything changed. Good turned into bad. Uh, a, a perfect environment turned into a troubled one. And if you're looking for the source of all the evil and the problems in the world, if you ask yourself why if God is good or bad things happening, this tells us very clearly that when sin came into the world, when Adam and Eve literally gave their authority to Satan and followed him, the Bible says Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, and evil is in the world. It's touching my family right now. My wife's mother is in the hospital as we speak. She was in great pain and went to the doctor, and they found a large tumor in her abdomen. So she's laying, wondering if she's going to live. Wonder if we're going to have surgery. What's going to happen? And we look at it, someone that serves God for, in ministry 70 years of their life, serving the Lord together, bumping 80, a marriage 60-plus years. But yet we still are all stained by this evil. But notice what Scripture says. The Bible says in Genesis 3.15, God says, and he's speaking to the serpent, the embodiment of Satan, he said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, you're going to be enemies, your offspring and hers. And if you see the conflict today in the world between light and darkness, between good and bad, it speaks of it. But notice what it says, and now it's referring to Jesus. He will crush your head, and you'll strike his heel. Striking his heel is a picture of the crucifixion. That's all it did. It was painful on the day. But how many know Jesus is going to crush Satan? And the Bible says in Romans, he's going to even crush him under our feet. That you and I will have ultimate victory one day over sin, hell, death, and the grave because of Jesus. That every believer in Christ will live forever in a real place called heaven. Listen, uh, but, but, and the rest of the Bible records God's redemptive plan in Jesus' ultimate victory. But as we speak of God's master plan, I want you to see that God's timing is sometimes hard to understand. And I want to go back to the mother, Elizabeth, of John the Baptist. You think, well, let me read their story. In Luke 1, 5, the dad, a priest named Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth. Now listen to these words. They're both righteous in the sight of God. They observe all the Lord's commands blamelessly. You would think if you could earn answers to prayer, if you could earn righteousness, if you could earn favor, if you could get God to do something for you, it would be people like this. But yet, at the same time, the Bible says they were childless and they're very old. So they'd live their whole life wondering, why, God, can I not have a baby? What is wrong with me? Well, have I done something wrong? But it had nothing to do with them. It was all about God's prophetic clock beginning to move forwards. And God had a specific time. God, has a, God had a time when he was going to put that puzzle piece in place. If you're like my family, we play puzzles over the holidays, and sometimes you look at pieces and you think, this, I don't have any clue where it would go, and you push it to the side. But as the puzzle begins to take shape, you see the shape of the piece, you see the color, and all of a sudden you put it in its rightful place. And this is exactly what happened with, with the, uh, John the Baptist's parents. And the lesson behind this introduction to the Christmas story is quite simple. 
is the God that we serve is both sovereign and he is in ultimate control of our lives and of world events. And my friends, we can trust him because his strategic master plan will fulfill his ultimate purpose in human history. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand to that. Now let's go to the big application part of the message, the secret to favor with God. Um, Verse 26, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. We'll we'll talk in just a moment. Why did God choose her? There were literally thousands of young women that could have had the child, tens of thousands likely. Why Mary? The angel said to her, greetings you who are. This is what we're going to explore. You're highly favored. And the angel said to her, uh, the Lord is with you. Uh, Mary was greatly troubled at the words, but the angel said, verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So here's what I want you to ask. How did Mary find favor with God? And maybe I can find favor too. Not to have another baby now, but favor to have God's hand of blessing on your life. Favor for God to use you in a great way. That your life would have significance. That your life would have meaning beyond just the pleasures of the day. Now, in asking the question, who was Mary? uh, First of all, she was very different than today's famous pop icons. You look at the Britney Spears, the Mariah Careys, the Taylor Swifts, Ariana Grande, or Katy Perry. Uh, These, you know, icons today that have probably millions of followers on their Instagram accounts, they were different. There's something different about this girl, Mary, to find the favor of God. Uh, We know little about her background. What we do know about her is she was poor, and she lived in a city called Nazareth, a city that was prophesied by God. So it was like her humble surroundings in life were used by God for His purpose Now, I want to give you what I see, and we're going to look at some other verses, what Mary said after the angel's pronouncement to get some insight into favor that you can latch on to. And here's the first one, verse 27. Uh, It said she was a virgin. Clearly, she lived in sexual purity, but I want you to see that it's broader than just sexual choice. She was committed to biblical character and living by God's word. Let me say it again. She was committed to living by God's word. She loved God and wanted to please him. And if you're someone today who wants to genuinely find God's favor in your life, I cannot think of a greater prescription than to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to let your greatest ambition be to please Him. The greatest choice in... Well, there's two great choices in life. One is to choose to receive and follow Christ as your Savior. Another great choice is to make this Savior the Lord of your life. When Jesus becomes my master and I willingly follow him, not because I have to or can't handle life myself, but because I love him and I want to. Let me give you a few more verses. Verse 38, Mary said two things. I am the Lord's servant. It's key. And then she said, after the angel said, you're going to have a baby as a virgin, she said, may your word to me be fulfilled. Now let's look at these one at a time. I'm the Lord's servant, which simply means she had a, a heart to serve the Lord. She was not selfish. She did what God wanted, and it made her happy. Has anyone ever done what God wanted, and you didn't want to do it? Now, you're in church. You can't lie in church. Has anybody ever obeyed one of God's? I'd sure like to do this, but dang, nabbit, doggone it, bling, bling. God wants me to, and I guess I have to because I don't want to go to hell. Okay, better than nothing... 
but not where we're headed. Mary's heart just seemed to be one that had willingness to do what God wanted to do. And this is key. Sometimes we want relationship with God so our life will be better. If I'm poor, I need money. Help me, God. If I'm sick, I need a healer. Heal me, God. If I'm in trouble, get me out, God. But it's like God's there to help. He's like revolving around my life to help me. But something happens when Jesus becomes the sinner and my life revolves around him. You say, that will cramp my style, Pastor. Exactly. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. But you will find that the path of self-denial to follow the Lord is the most fulfilling and rewarding and peace-giving and happy uh, way to live your life. Come on, if you agree with me, lift your hand on this one now. I'm telling you what, putting Jesus first works in life. Second thing she said is, she said, uh, may your word be fulfilled, which simply means she had faith to believe miracles could happen. It, it, It seems like people that do great things for God live on the edge. They don't just do what they can do and what they can afford, but they're like Peter, ready to step out of the boat and step on the water. Now, i got to move quickly, but let me give you another one, verse 48. Um, She said, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary said this. Now, one translation said she, she was a lowly servant girl. Now, clearly, Mary, Mary was a humble person, opposite of pride, but that's not what these words say. The humble state of his servant. This is referring to her status in life as we compare in the world. Mary was poor. Mary did not live a life of prestige. Uh, Mary's dad uh, couldn't buy her a BMW to go to school in the 11th grade. Mary rode the bus. Mary couldn't just go, you know to the store or or couldn't order from, you know, the internet what she wanted for breakfast and lunch and dinner every day. Maybe Mary had to use a food stamp card. The point in all this is this was Mary's circumstances, but here's what I want you to see. She didn't get mad or angry about it. You know, there's no sense that, God, why am I the way I am? Why am I the color I am? Why am I, why am I poor? Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? There's something different. But I want you to see that there can be a benefit to being in this position of struggle. James 2.5, it says, Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? And he goes on to say, uh, he said, uh, I lost it. Uh, Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God he promised to those who love him? Now, there is not a nobility in poverty. Listen, Scripture says if you you sell all you have and give it to the poor, but you don't have love, you're nothing. This has always been a heart thing in terms of the material of the world. God desires to bless his people, but sometimes we live in a world where we don't enjoy great prosperity and it can be a door to greater dependence on God. That's why Jesus said, pray, give us this day our, our daily bread. And there, there can be an opportunity to draw closer to God. I, I'm going to leave that with you. But look at verse 50. It says, Mary's still talking now and we're looking for the, for the why she found favor. Mary said, his mercy extends to those who... Fear God from generation to generation. His mercy. So Mary feared God. What does that mean? It means respect. She had respect to live within the boundaries that he placed around us. 
couple nights ago, I'm driving home from a Christmas party, and I'm on Highway 67. I live in Redwater, and I look uh, just in front of me, and there's a Wake Village police person, officer. And what's the first thing I did? Put my foot off the gas a little bit. I didn't know what the speed limit was. And I looked on my little GPS. It said 55, and I started to go faster, and I looked on a sign on the side of the road, and it said 50. So... Here's he's going. I'm just kind of right behind him. I was right next to him, but <laughs> got behind him. And finally, he turned off on, on King's Highway, and then I, I, I headed home. Now, I wouldn't do anything wrong. I didn't have drugs in the car. I didn't have anything like that. I, I, wasn't, I didn't have anything to hide. But it's the fact that this police person represented authority. And it caused me to live within a certain boundary. Well, this is the same way we're supposed to relate to God. God is loving. God is good. God is merciful. God is forgiving. God is compassionate. But God is also a judge that's to be greatly feared. Mary had this. Here's the last one. Uh, Mary said, verse 54, um, he's helped his servant Israel. This is through the birth of Christ. He's helped his servant Israel. This is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, of the Jewish people, remembering to be merciful to Abraham. He was the start of the Jewish people and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, this phrase contextualizes her life. She saw herself as a part of God's plan on the earth. She was not just concerned about herself, but about God's plans and purposes. Now, these are doors to favor. I believe that if we follow, we can find God's favor in our life, and we'll pray about these as we close our service today. But for time's sake, I want to keep going. Uh, verse 31, King, uh, King Jesus is God. A lot of people don't believe in God. A lot of people believe in pluralism. There are many gods. A lot of people believe that you can define God as you want him to be. Listen, we can't define God as who we want him to be. He is who he is. Yeah. And Jesus introduces himself. Or listen, Jesus is spoken of this way as God, not only of the Jewish people, but all humanity. Look at verse 31. The angel said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. Now, these next few thoughts I'll share with you form the basis of Christian theology, an understanding of who Jesus was, an understanding of the Christian faith, not just being a monotheistic religion, but those who worship the one true God. Jesus was a common name. Jesus was, Jesus was both fully God and fully man. I cannot explain it to you. He was not a 50-50 half-breed, but he was fully God and fully man. As a man, he was named Jesus. Jesus was a common name in their day. But look at verse 32. The angel said he's going to be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. Now we're talking about God. In Semitic thought, a son was a carbon copy of the Father. He possessed his Father's qualities. This verse is literally saying that Jesus is God. He is not a lesser God or a smaller God like Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons believe. He is very God. Uh, even Matthew 1.23 prophesied this. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. You'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with, uh, God with us. So he is the son of God. But notice further, uh, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
King David, the Old Testament epitome of, of, of the proper king in the nation of Israel. But you will see, if you were to look again, this master plan in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ begins by saying Jesus is in the lineage of David. And it'll close by saying there's 14 generations between this event and this one, 14 and 14. David was central, but here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is not just a baby, he is a king. He came to this earth born as a man. But the Bible says, listen, he's no longer a baby in a manger. The Bible says he's coming back to this earth as king of kings and lord of lords. He will be riding a great white horse. He will bring with him the angels of God. He will bring with him uh, the, the spirits of those that have died in Christ. Listen, the Bible says before this King Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The greatest agnostic, the most, the most uh, educated atheist. How many know you can be an educated idiot if you're educated with the wrong things? If your starting place is wrong, your conclusion will be wrong. And if the starting place, there is no God, you can get a lot of good facts along the way. But you will end up with a wrong conclusion. That's just extra. Jesus is indeed God. But I want you to notice one more thing. He was the God of the Jewish people. Notice, he will reign over Jacob's descendants. This is Jacob, Israel, the father of the nation of Israel forever. And his kingdom will... Say it again. Never end. This is eternal. This is why I believe Christians should support the nation of Israel. The Bible says that those who bless Israel, God will bless. Now, I'm a little helpless uh, as, a, a, as an American, as just an insignificant voter in Bowie County, to do much about the nation. Our church does support a church there. We send uh, $500 a month. We're sending a missions team uh, this year to the nation of Israel. We're constantly doing projects to help them. But I want to tell you, our president, whether you love him or hate him, did something big this week. Uh, there is a rise in anti-Semitism, which means a hatred of Jewish people. Now think about this. The nation of Israel is just a sliver of land in the Middle East. It is less than 10 million people that declare themselves to be Jews. But the world, there's been no group that's been more persecuted and maligned and hated than the Jewish people. And I suggest to you it is a demonic, right back to the struggle in Genesis, it is God's seed. They are God's chosen people. Now, come on, in the Old Testament, they were the chosen people. They had the law of Moses. It's through them the Savior was born. And Satan, through world issues, hates them. But just this week, our president signed legislation, particularly because of the growing anti-Semitism on college campuses, that Jews would receive the same civil rights protection as other protected groups in America. Now listen, that's a good thing. It was a good thing when our president moved. It was a good thing when our president moved the, our, our embassy to Jerusalem, the nation's capital. It was a good thing when our president got out of the Ar Iranian nuclear deal because Iran is on record as saying they want to wipe the nation of Israel off the map. So that's not a political statement. That's just a factual statement about what's happening in our nation today and the relevancy uh, of the Jewish people that will one day come to the forefront again in the book of Revelation. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, look at verse 34. Uh, fulfilled prophecies. This is probably the most exciting part of the message to me today because it is fulfilled prophecies that validate the biblical message. I realize today that many of us in the room today are skeptical, 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 skeptical of the claims of the Bible. 
Much of the Bible goes in direct contradiction to what science has been elevated to provide in terms of answers. The best science can tell us is there was a big bang. There was nothing before that, or they don't know what was before that. They don't know why it happened. They don't know what it was supposed to produce. All they know is that's how we got here. There's no purpose of life beyond just enjoyment and indulgence of life. It is. But as a Christian, we believe the starting place is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, a preexistent eternal God created the heavens and the earth. But one of the ways, I would argue that one of the greatest ways that the, it, it proved that it is rational to believe that the Bible is God's word and that it is true is through fulfilled prophecy. A prophecy is a prediction made by someone that something, that something in the future will happen. Let me give you several. 700 years approximately before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet wrote this, The Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive, sound familiar? And bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1.23 records the fulfillment 700 years later. 750 B.C., the prophet Micah said this. He predicted the town Jesus would be born in. You, Bethlehem, are just a small village among the people of Judah, but a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past, the ancient of days. He will come from you on my behalf. Matthew 2, 5 records the fulfillment. Think about this. A prediction made that a virgin would have a baby. A prediction of the town the child would be born in 700 years dis distant. Isaiah 9 says this, and listen to these words. Again, 700 years before his birth. For to us a child is born, and a son, Jesus, is given, and the government of the world will be on his shoulders. His name will be, say it with me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David. Now, these are only three prophecies of which were fulfilled. But I want to suggest to you a book. It was written by a professor. His name was Peter Stoner. I think, yeah, the book is on my left and right. Peter Stoner was the chairman of departments of both math, astronomy, and science in the late 50s in two colleges in California. And he was a Christian. And he wanted to convey to people the statistical improbability or how improbable it would be for one man to fulfill only eight prophecies hundreds of years apart. How likely would it be? And here's what he came up with now. He said it is the chance in 1 to 10 to the 17th power, which means nothing. It is one chance in 10,000 trillion. That doesn't mean much. He, he further gave this illustration. Imagine the state of Texas is covered two feet deep in silver dollars. To give you some perspective, imagine this room is covered two feet deep in silver dollars. You wouldn't be listening to me. You would be filling your pockets up and going out. Come on. But the whole state of Texas, two foot deep in silver dollars, and I want you to imagine, a, and he didn't say this, but I'll add this. Imagine there's a, a big concrete truck and how concrete you know, comes out of it. Well, imagine this truck is, gets filled with silver dollars, and it's just dropping them all over the state of Texas till it's two feet deep. And imagine now 
there's one silver dollar and someone takes a red X and writes on the back of it and somebody at the silver dollar plant throws it inside the truck. Nobody knows where it's going to be and it's somewhere in the state of Texas and then we find a blind man who's never seen, who only gets one chance and we tell that blind man, walk through the entire state of Texas, put your hand down two feet deep, find one coin with a red X on it. You say, that's impossible, Pastor. This is exactly the point. CBN tells us there are approximately 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Christ fulfilled. The odds of that, friends, are unimpossible, are unbelievable almost. But how many know with God all things are possible? With the guy that puts the, the clock on the clock and the, and the puzzle pieces of life. Listen, this is the God that we serve. And bib, the fulfillment of biblical prophecy provide rationale. Now, I'm going to close with this, con- conclude with this, verse 36. And I want you to look at me on this. Because the longer we live on this earth, the less we believe this. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Nothing is impossible with God. Elizabeth, this is the angel again. Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. How many know when a woman has ceased her menstrual cycle, when she is beyond the age of childbearing, she can't have a baby but God? She's past the age, she's in her old age, and she who was unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. And listen to this. One translation says, no word from God will ever fail. Another one says, nothing will be impossible with God. I leave you with this. The God we serve makes the impossible possible. The God we serve can cause a virgin and an old woman to have a baby. The God we serves, we serve left heaven, was born in an animal manger, and came to give his life on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. With God, sinners become saints. With God, believers die, but live forever. With God, hopeless people find hope. And it's all because Jesus came on Christmas morning. The secular mind will mock us. They'll laugh at us, but let them laugh. As for me and my house, we'll worship the King who's worthy to be praised. Come on, give him a big hand today. Jesus Christ is worthy of all our praise. Stand to your feet with me today. I sure have enjoyed you being here, and I sure hope that you'll come next week. Next week, we'll look at the actual Christmas story, but uh, I'm going to encourage you, if you're in us uh, young at heart club, I guess, go, uh, go meet our new pastors afterwards. They'll be in the cafe, and they'll be doing events in January, but don't think about the Cracker Barrel biscuit and cornbread just yet. <laughs> Could we just take a minute and just pray and let maybe sink in what we heard today? You see, perhaps the most relevant part of the message today was how Mary found favor with God. And can I tell you, friends, favor is more than a new suit, more than a new car, more than a bigger diamond, more than a bigger house. All those things are nice. They're enjoyable. But I'm talking about favor with God for significance for your life. 
Imagine the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of women that could have had the Christ child. We don't know one of their name. History records nothing about them. They lived a life and it's over. But Mary is alive in the minds of people today in this Christmas season because she gave birth to the Christ child. And she did that because she found favor with God. Friends, you can find favor with God for significance for your own life. Whether you're a roofer, a plumber, a school teacher, a business person, a student, you can find God's favor on your life to do what Mary did and make a great impact in the world for Jesus. Whether the world is your neighborhood, your ball team, your classroom, or our city, the problem with homelessness in our city, the problem with poverty in America, or the problem with teenage pregnancy, whatever. I mean, they're just everywhere. We can find favor with God. I'm going to ask you to pray this for yourself in a moment, but let me remind you what Mary did. Mary was committed to biblical character and committed to living by God's Word. She just simply loved God and wanted to please Him. Mary had a heart to serve the Lord. She had faith to believe miracles could happen. She was not angry at God because of her low social standing. She feared God. She had great respect for Him. And she saw herself as a part of God's plan on the earth. Would you bow your head a moment? And I can't really pray this for you. But why don't you pray it? Say, Lord, I I want what Mary had. I want a heart like that. I want to be able to love you more than I love anyone else. I want to find great joy in serving you. I I want to have an unbridled faith to believe a virgin could have a baby and God be the Father. I don't want to be a complainer about my social standing. I I want to have utmost fear and respect from you for you. And God, I want to see myself as a part of a bigger plan. Life doesn't revolve around me. My life revolves around you. Help us, Holy Spirit. Today, once again, we choose to get off the throne of our heart and invite Christ to live on it. In Jesus' name. I want to have one last last thing to pray for. Um, In just a moment, they're going to play a last song. And I'd ask you, if you could, to wait until the song is over. But we're going to have our prayer team come to the front. They'll pray with people about anything. But I want to read this to, perhaps you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I need a real relationship with God. I don't want to just go to church. I don't want to just pick up a Bible every once in a while. I, I want to have a real relationship with God. Well, let me read this verse to you. It's Matthew 1:21. The angel said, she, she, Mary, would bear a son. You'd call his name Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came to this earth. And if I could simplify the story as much as I can, because of Adam and Eve, we all have a problem. We're all born with a sin nature. We all do things wrong. The Bible says we're a sinner. And what that means in the most simple form, if the cross represents Christ, we were born walking our own way, doing our own thing, looking back and asking Him for help every once in a while, but by and large, going this way in life. 
But what we found as we went this way, we got bigger cars, we got education, we had success, we got trophies. We found drugs or alcohol didn't do it. We found relationships didn't do it. Something was still missing because we're trying to find happiness apart from God. And there's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. And every once in a while, we have this God moment where we realize that God wants us to follow Him. And something amazing happens to us. It happened to me on August 15th, 1976, where I stopped my journey away from God. And I made a turn to the cross of Christ, if I can use that as a metaphor, and asked God to forgive me. I acknowledged to God that what I'd done was wrong in many respects of my life. And here's the big thing. I said, Jesus, I believe in you. I want you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And here's the big one. I'm going to follow you. And maybe you're here today and you need to start a relationship with God. Two words, believe and follow. And if you feel like I'm talking right to you, it's not me. Well, it is me, but there's a voice within the voice. It's God the Holy Spirit just simply speaking to you, saying He wants relationship with you. He's got a better life for you. He sent His Son to die for you so you could have eternal life. And He offers you this free gift of salvation, but you've got to reach out and take it. And I want to encourage you today to take that gift. I want to encourage you today to publicly profess your faith in Christ. I want to encourage you today to let someone pray for you as you invite Jesus to come into your life, the best decision you've ever made. We'll pray for you if you've never prayed the prayer to receive Christ before, or maybe you used to walk with God earlier in life, but you got away. And today you want to come back. We want to pray for you. And I'm asking you if you're here today and say, Pastor, I want that prayer. I want to commit my life to Christ. I'm going to ask when they begin to play their song that you just slip out of your chair and and come over to the cross. Someone will meet you there and they'll pray for you as you make the greatest step of your life. And I'm telling you this, there's powerful symbolism in walking away from the past, walking to the cross. It does something in your heart. We don't want anything from you. We're going to help you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to give you something. But I'll tell you, friend, when you put your heart, your heart as it were, in God's hands, He'll change your life forever. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach, as he's singing. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They're making their way here now. They'll pray with you about anything. But most importantly, you say, Pastor, I want to get my life right with God. We'll see you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming. I hope to see you next week.